As we continue to worship the Lord this morning, let us do so by opening his word, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This morning our text is verse 28 to 36 of Luke chapter 9. Let us hear the word of the Lord this morning, written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Luke, as he writes in his gospel. Luke 9, 28 to 36 says this. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we praise you that you have spoken to us through your word this morning. Father, we thank you for the account written before us. Father, we pray that as we look to these verses, Lord, would you help us to see Jesus for who he truly is this morning. Father, help our love for Christ to grow as we walk through these verses. And Father, we pray that our obedience, Lord, would likewise grow as we behold our majestic Savior, Jesus, in the glory that he's revealed himself in these verses. Father, please, we pray, we ask, we beg, would you give us eyes to see this morning? Father, give us ears to hear from you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, in Luke's gospel, Jesus has just made some stout claims about what it truly means to be his disciple. Following after Jesus doesn't just involve a verbal confession of him being the Christ, as if we could just confess with our mouth and keep on living how we see fit. No, Jesus teaches us in his word and in this chapter in particular that a true confession leads to a true cost in our lives. 
If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus daily, taking up our cross, telling ourselves no, so that we tell Jesus' instructions yes, is what every follower of Jesus must do. Fans of Jesus don't go that far. But as Pastor Adam exhorted us in the text last week, Jesus calls us to be followers, not fans. And it's important, and the important truth that we see this morning for us to consider from these verses, the text before us, is that when we see Jesus for who he truly is, it will change us. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, when we get a glimpse of him, it will necessarily change us. When we realize who he is, his position, his power, his authority, his deity, what he has accomplished, what he has fulfilled, that will indeed necessarily change us. Understanding who Jesus is leads to following after him. And that is what we see happening in this transfiguration. In all three of the synoptic gospels, we see these events clotted together. We see Peter's confession, Jesus foretelling his death, the call to follow Jesus, and the transfiguration. All of those things are clotted together. And Luke, like Matthew and Mark, wants us to comprehend who Jesus is so that we will believe in him and so that we will follow him with our lives. And so in this, pa in this passage, a veil is pulled back, so to speak, on Jesus. And three of the disciples are going to get an amazing glimpse of Jesus in his power and in his deity. Another figure is going to chime in on the question of who do you say Jesus is? In the last week, we heard from the crowds. We heard Peter's and the disciples' confession. And in this passage, God the Father himself is going to speak and answer that question. My prayer for us today is that we would be transformed by seeing the transformation of Jesus. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we would, beholding the glory of the Lord, that we would be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so that's the prayer this morning, that as we see Jesus, as Luke records him, the truth and this event about what took place and what Jesus has done and who he is, that wherever we are in following after Christ, that we would grow and be transformed from one degree to the other, that we would grow in our love for Christ and our obedience to Christ. And then if you're here this morning, if you're listening and you are not trusting in Christ, if you're not trusting that he came to die for you to pay your penalty, that you would see what Jesus has done for you this morning from this passage. So in these verses, we will see five things about Jesus that demands our discipleship. Five things for us as we try to summarize and say, what do we see about Jesus in these verses? Five things that demand our discipleship. First off, we see in verse 28 to 29, 
Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's our first point. Verse 28 transitions and introduces this account. Roughly eight days, uh, or as the other Gospels indicate specifically, six days after Peter's confession, Jesus foretelling his death, and then this call to follow Jesus, these events occurred. Jesus only takes with him, we're told, Peter, John, and James. We're not told why only these three go, but we can deduce that these three are definitely leaders. And obviously, it's only by the account of these three recalling and telling others about this account that we're even reading of it this day. Jesus had done this before, taken three with him, when he raised from the dead Jairus' daughter. Only Peter and James and John went into the room with him. You'll recall when Jesus called those three in and he raised from the dead Jairus' daughter. And we'll see that again in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember there before the crucifixion, Jesus with his disciples went to the garden to pray. He withdrew a little bit more and he took with him Peter, James, and John and even withdrew a little bit more from there to pray. And speaking of prayer, we see Luke again making emphasis on Jesus praying, especially before something major happens. Jesus took these three with him up on the mountain to pray and it was as they were praying, well, at least at this point, as Jesus was praying, uh, these three, we're going to see, had their eyes closed, but they might not have been praying necessarily so. But it was at this time that Jesus was transformed right in front of their eyes. In verse 29, amazingly, we read, and as he was praying, that is Jesus, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. What an amazing thing we see in this text. Right in front of the three disciples, Jesus' physical appearance changed. Matthew states, his face shined like the sun and his garments became white as light. Mark speaks about how his garments became whiter than any cleaner could ever bleach them. And Luke describes the color of his garments as white as a flash of lightning, translated here as dazzling white. You guys have seen lightning before, right? I remember just a couple of months ago, give or take, uh, six months or so, there was a large thunderstorm. And I remember in the night, I was awakened by this thunderstorm. And we had by our house a very large clap of thunder and lightning that came down and it literally turned our room bright. It was a flash of lightning. And you've seen lightning how, if you've been close to it, how bright and white that is. And just imagine, just put yourselves in the disciples' position here of Jesus, not just for a second, a split second like lightning, but white radiating from him. And we must ask the question, what is going on here? What is happening and what does it mean for this to happen, to, for Jesus to be transformed in this way with his clothing to, to be bl like blinding white and his clothing to alter and to change? Well, this is reminiscent of an Old Testament account that might indeed shed some light on these verses. Do you remember the account of Moses in Exodus 34, 29 to 35? Moses had been on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and talking with God. And the text says that Moses' face, quote, 
shown because he had been talking with God. You know that when he came down, he had to put a veil over his face before the people of Israel because of the light that was reflecting from him. His skin literally lit up because he had been in the presence of God. You recall that from the Old Testament and Moses. In contrast, here Jesus' skin lit up and his face shone not because he was in the presence of God, but get this, but because he is God. His glory came not from outside of him, but from inside of him. Jesus is here being revealed for what he truly is, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus was seen in his glory. Jesus is revealing his majesty, his might, his power, his greatness. His deity was being made transparent to Peter, to James, and John. Jesus, at this moment, was undeniable, undeniably clearly shown to be who he is. Now, do you think seeing this would encourage these disciples to listen to Jesus? to follow after Jesus. Well, of course it would, and we'll see that take place throughout the rest of their life and the ministry and resurrection and then even in their uh, obedience to Christ. But what about us this morning? Do we realize that this is who Jesus is? He is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, and that is who calls you to follow after him. That is who calls you to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily, and to follow after him. It is this Jesus that does that. And also, this is a picture and foretaste of the return of Jesus. John, who saw this, it was Peter, James, and John, would also write about Jesus in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. This is really interesting. This is awesome. John was there on that mount when he saw Jesus transformed in front of him and he saw him with this light and listen this is later towards the end of the apostle john's uh, life and he writes this in the book of revelation revelation 1 13 to 18 as he describes jesus there listen to what he says and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength." When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is a future vision John was having. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. You see, the disciples got a taste of the end times of what it will be like when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ returns back to this earth. They got a partial look of what it would be like when Jesus returns here 
physically to this globe. They got a picture of that before their eyes. This is who Jesus is. This is the one that calls us to follow after him. Jesus is the son of God. Not only do these reverse, uh, verses reveal that, his deity, we also see Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We see that in verse 30 to 31. It says there, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah are two of the most prominent figures of the Old Testament. Mind you, Moses had been dead for around 1,500 years, and Elijah had been dead for around 800 years. And here they are talking with Jesus. What significance does, the, does this have as we consider it? Well, Moses is seen as the great lawgiver from the Old Testament. Again, it was God who on a mountain delivered the Ten Commandments to his people through Moses. Moses spoke for God to the people. Elijah was a prophet, as we know, uh, who really pictures the eschatological hope that we have in Christ. It was Elijah whom God took up to heaven with a chariot. So basically you have Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet who called God's people back to the law and looking forward to the hope of the Messiah. And both of these figures are pointing to Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, it spoke about a new prophet who would come and be like Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Exactly what God the Father will say in verse 35. And Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. It was they who came to speak to Jesus about what he would accomplish at Jerusalem, verse 31 states. We could translate this also as what Jesus would fulfill at Jerusalem. You see, Jesus came in fulfillment to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Elijah. The whole of the Old Testament are pointing to him, and it points to this work that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem, the work he was going to accomplish on the cross. More on that in just a minute. But before moving to the next point, I think it's good to also consider uh, one more thing about these verses. As mentioned, Moses had been dead some 1,500 years and Elijah some 800 years or so. Yet, where are they? Here they are physically. I call it a, a loner. They're probably in a loner body because their real bodies haven't been raised from the grave yet. That'll happen when Jesus comes back again when he's returning and our dead bodies in the ground will be raised up. But the, the, they're not just some spirit Casper floating with a hello, my name is Elijah and Moses. They, have, they seem to have a, a body here that they are there. There are people, they're speaking with Jesus. They are there with him. They are alive. They have died. And here they are in the presence of Jesus. J.C. Ryle, he was an English evangelical, evangelical Anglican bishop. He ministered in the 1800s and he wrote a commentary uh, called Expository Thoughts, and uh, Expository Thoughts on Luke. And here's what he said just about this point. He said, all is not over. 
when the last breath is drawn, there is another world beyond the grave. But above all, let us take comfort in the thought that until that day dawns and the resurrection begins, the people of God are safe with Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are in good keeping. They are not lost, but gone before. Our loved ones who have died, our friends who have died, all of those trusting in Christ are safe with Christ. Those of you who have believing parents who have died, take comfort in these words. You see here, they are safe with Christ. Those of you who have loved ones, even, even in the thought of death of our loved ones, that we know that we're going to die unless Christ returns. We know we will die. Just give it 100 years and my point will be proven. We will all be gone. Let us take comfort in the fact that what we see here to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Even just described here as Elijah and Moses, they've been gone a long, long time, but they're not lost. They're with Christ. And so also all who trust in Christ are safe with Christ. May that truth give us comfort and hope this morning. Next thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus brings the greater exodus in verse number 31, just to hit this again. Luke uses a very telling word to describe what Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about. Interesting thing, isn't it? What would they be saying? Jesus is there, they're on a mountain. Moses, Elijah, they come to speak with Jesus. We're given just a little snippet of the conversation. It says in verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Your Bible might have a footnote there on that word departure. And if you look down for it, if you have it, uh, literally means exodus. It's the word exodus. No doubt Jesus's exodus or his departure, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem, is speaking about his death. Is speaking about his death in Jerusalem. Just as Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and bondage from Egypt, so also Jesus leads his people Israel out of bondage to sin. It's a beautiful word picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, of what he was doing. Jesus is leading his people to freedom. Jesus is leading his people out of death and into life. And this is something Jesus accomplished. It was accomplished. It was a fulfillment from God's word. And Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by coming to live a perfect life, a life of obedience, a life of total trust in obedience to God's word and to die as the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And Jesus' death was not in vain. Jesus did not die to make salvation possible. He came and accomplished salvation on the cross as he died for his church, as he died for his people to accomplish the plan of God. Jesus is greater than Moses and the exodus that Jesus brings is also greater than Moses's exodus because he brings us out of sin and slave and bondage and death and decay. And that indeed my friend, is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, 
just know that these words are true. The word of the Bible is, is ultimately through human authors, but it's ultimately the word of God. God has inspired these words and these inspired words of God tell us of who Jesus is. And they tell us of why Jesus had to come. And they tell us that you are a sinner, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short. And the good news of what Jesus Christ has done is that he has come to die on the cross and take our punishment. Sin is deserving of death and Jesus came to die for us. The Bible holds out the promise of if you believe in the promises of God, you will be saved from your sin. And so if you're not trusting in Christ and you're here this morning, I think you, you could agree from God's word that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's law, and that guilt that you feel in your life is what Jesus has come to die for to pay your sins for you. And the call of the gospel is, is for you to do nothing, to do nothing but to trust and look to Jesus and believe in the promise of God and you will be saved. So we encourage you here today, if, if you're a, a child, if you're a young child, if you're feeling the guilt of your sin, if you're a visitor here today, that is the call of God to us is to trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that this is who he is, this is what he has come to do. And Jesus, as it says in this passage, has accomplished it. He accomplished the plan of God. He brings all of these things about. He accomplished it in Jerusalem. So here they are speaking of that event. That would have been a fun one to uh, kind of listen to, wouldn't it? Well, we would have probably been like the disciples over here passed out asleep as all of these things were taken about. So Jesus is the son of God. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He brings about the greater exodus. And next we see Jesus uses frail followers. Jesus uses frail followers. We see this in verse 32 to 33. The next verses describe for us how the event of the transfiguration took place for the three disciples. All of these things were taking place in front of them, but the thing is that they were asleep. Jesus had turned as bright as a flash of lightning. His clothes were radiating from his own glory, shining from within, and Moses and Elijah are there in, in some sort of pre-resurrection bodies, and they are talking with Jesus. Now, I don't want to go too far, but we do see in the scene, they're all there, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I can't, I, I'm, I'm beyond the text, so forgive me, but I can imagine just glancing over. Who, who are these guys you, you brought up? Or here's these guys, they're talking with Jesus. They look over and here they are, sound asleep. Text doesn't say for how long. But imagine waking up to the scene that they saw. Imagine waking up as Peter, James, or John to what they saw. You're up on a mountain praying with Jesus. They're probably praying and they glide off to sleep. That doesn't surprise any of us. You go to sleep and you wake up to Moses and Elijah and Jesus physically showing forth his glory in front of you. Sometimes I wake up, maybe you do too. I don't even know what day it is. And the text says they were heavy with sleep. So I imagine they woke up pretty hard too. 
And it seems like as they're waking up, Moses and Elijah are beginning to leave. And understandably, they don't want them to leave. They want them to stay. They want them to linger. They want to talk. They, they want to interact with what's taking place in front of them. So what do they do? Well, Peter speaks up. He just blurts out something. He says in verse 33, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, the text, Luke tells us. You might be thinking you read that and you say, what, what in the world? What in the world is Peter talking about here? Making a tent? First off, that would take a little while. It doesn't mean pitch a tent. It doesn't mean they had their tent and you know the little quick pop-up things. No, they're making it from something. What's up with the tents? Why not a campfire? Why not make a campfire for them to sit around and talk? Well, most likely, I believe Peter's thinking here of celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a major event on the Jewish calendar and it would occur around their October, uh, providentially enough around this time. And the Feast of Tabernacles memorialized God's provision for his people in the wilderness. And it was regarded as anticipating God's ultimate deliverance that was to come yet future. So Peter seemed to understand the eschatological nature of what was happening. And this festival, the festival of uh, tents here, uh, loosely is, is kind of like our uh, Thanksgiving type holiday. It's a celebration, it's a remembering type of thing, it's a harvest type of thing. But the Jewish celebration looked forward to God's ultimate redemption of his people. Still yet, Peter, waking from a hard sleep, just blurted this out. You ever wake, woken up and tried to have a serious conversation on the spot? We can feel Peter's pain. Well, no response was even given to Peter. And before moving on to these last verses, we can't help but see how Jesus chooses to use frail followers for his glory. You know what, this whole event took place for Peter, James, and John, for the disciples, for the early church, and for believers of every generation to which we are one. This event took place for us. We needed this, we needed to see this. That's why he took these three with him so that it could be recorded, so that it could be passed down, so that we could see it. They needed that, we need that, so that they could record it. We are, what we see from this is we are weak, we are frail. We tend to fall asleep, both literally and figuratively in our lives. Have you ever been praying and fallen asleep at night? Have you ever been reading your Bible or reading on your phone and just fall asleep? It's just a typical thing, we are weak, we are frail, listen, the thing of scripture, God knows our frame. God knows our struggles. We see our struggles exemplified in the disciples' life. They misunderstood what Jesus was saying. They lacked faith. They can't stay awake to pray. And if we were there, we would do the same, probably worse. Praise God, he uses frail followers. If you're a frail follower, Pray that would give you hope this morning. Brings us to the last major point we see here, and that is that Jesus is approved by God in verse 34 to 35. The three were awake, Peter had spoken, and here comes a cloud 
that encapsulates them. Rightfully so, they were afraid. And again, it's so helpful just to imagine yourself, put yourself in, in their shoes, Peter, James, or John, up on that mountain. You're there with Jesus withdrawing. You've been seeing amazing, miraculous things take place. And you're withdrawing with Jesus. You're up on this secluded place. You're praying. You fall asleep. You happen to wake up. And lo and behold, right before your eyes, there's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus shining forth all of this light. You're waking each other up. There he is. Peter blurts this out. Peter says that, and nothing is even mentioned. And then here comes a cloud, a cloud that comes over the mountain. So now you can't even see anything. And this cloud comes forth, and they are afraid. They are afraid. What does a cloud usually symbolize? What's going on here? Once again, the Old Testament can help us out here. The cloud is first mentioned in Exodus 13 where it leads the people by day as they flee from Pharaoh to Egypt. The cloud protected the Israelites at the Red Sea so as to hide them from Pharaoh's army. A great cloud descended on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. When the wilderness ta tabernacle was completed, the cloud of God's glory filled it so that Moses could not enter it. The cloud was present at the dedication of Solomon's temple. The cloud is referred to many other times throughout the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and now the cloud enveloped these disciples, revealing God's presence, God's glory. God was there with them, God the Father. God was revealing himself in a special way to them, and God came and God was present. And then God spoke a voice from the clouds. Last week we looked at who the crowd said Jesus was and what the disciples said to who Jesus was. And here, God the Father himself is going to speak about who Jesus is. Verse number 35 says, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God identifies Jesus as his son. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is deity. Jesus is not like Moses. He's not like Elijah. He was greater. He is a divine person. He is the son of God, the one whom we've been worshiping and singing to this very morning. Second, God describes Jesus as my chosen one, or more literally, the chosen one. We get our word elect from this usage. Jesus is the chosen one of God. He is the elect of God. God has planned and purposed before the foundation of the world to send Jesus to die on the cross for his people. God had ordained it to happen. Jesus is God's chosen savior and Jesus alone. Which leads thirdly to God's command, mind you, direct command to the three disciples. You, he's telling them here, you listen to them. You're not talking to Moses, not talking to Elijah, not talking to Jesus. This is God speaking to the disciples, therefore through them speaking to us through the word of God. Listen to Jesus. If you ever needed a sign that Jesus is the one who we are to follow, here it is. The voice of God, God himself saying, listen to Jesus. A voice from the clouds fits directly again, Deuteronomy 18, 15. 
in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is exactly the same words here to this passage where it says, the one coming who will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, my brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Listen to this prophet, the one greater than Moses. And here we have God repeating those exact same words. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Hear what he says. Give your life to following after him, to this Jesus. That's the one, that's the one we are to listen to. After God spoke, it was Jesus alone with the disciples. Seems like the cloud maybe moved, it had been spoken, Moses, Elijah, they're no longer there, but they're still there. They're just not there, they are in glory. The disciples remained and there was Jesus alone. Spotlight was on Jesus. The point was Jesus. The disciples, they remained quiet, right? We would be too. What are you gonna say? You are there. They didn't tell anyone of these events until after Jesus was raised. Matthew's gospel records for us at this event that Jesus told them not to tell anybody until after he was raised. This event was recorded not only for them, this event was, was recorded for us. Just like Peter, James, and John and the early disciples, the early church, we need to understand these events. They are recorded for us so that we can see who Jesus truly is. And so that indeed you will take up your cross, that you will deny yourself, and that you will follow after him. Because when you see Jesus for who he is, it will change you. Because Jesus had just said all of these strong words. The son of man's going to come, as he said, and he will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he will be killed. Jesus will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised. And Jesus said, not only that, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And he goes on to teach this dramatic, deny yourself and follow after him, to which it comes right after that and says, do that because of this. This is who Jesus is. This is who calls you to that. This is the one who calls you to listen to give your life over to him. No doubt the disciples saw that, I have no doubt. After the resurrection, after they began to get it, after the Holy Spirit was given, after Peter had fallen, after Peter was restored by Jesus, and after Peter went on his life preaching about Jesus as he continued on to write 1 Peter, 2 Peter that we have recorded in our books about suffering as a believer, about remaining strong to the end, about standing firm in the faith, it was that same Peter who had seen the glory of Jesus Christ right in front of his eyes. And I have no doubt that that event changed him. Brothers and sisters, as we look to Jesus Christ, it will change us too. Will you continue to give your lives over to listening to Jesus? 
How do we hear him? How do we hear God? It's through the words that he has spoken to us and there alone is how we hear about Jesus. They instruct us in God's word to do what we're getting ready to do with the Lord's Supper, which is a visual picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his body, his blood given for us, for us to take it in faith, to receive it in faith. We're instructed from God's word. Jesus is God's son, the second person of the Trinity, the chosen one. God has chosen him for this task of salvation and deliverance. And God tells you this morning, listen to Jesus. Listen to his commands. Let the words of Jesus come to your ears. Put them in here. To listen to them, you have to see them, you have to hear them. Are you doing that? Are you looking at the words of Jesus? Are you getting them in your ear? Or are you ignoring Jesus? If you're ignoring Jesus, you're ignoring God who said, listen to Jesus. Let us come to him. Listen to his commands. Let the word of Jesus come to us. Don't ignore them. And one day, brothers and sisters, one day, real soon, like Moses and like Elijah, we too will see our Savior face to face. Let's pray. Father, for your word this morning, we give you praise, we give you thanks. Father, we thank you for this passage. I pray, Lord, that this passage would help us be transformed from one degree of glory to the next in our lives. As we look to Jesus, the founder of our faith, the one who calls us to seek after him with all of our lives. Father, would you help us this day to do just that by your grace. And Father, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit. If there's someone here this morning not trusting in Jesus, not believing your promises, Lord, would you open their eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is, that they would believe your promise and so be praised. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.